I hope you like Norwegian black metal, because I don't do earbuds. Ho <laughs> ho! New earbuds! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode number two of the No Earbuds podcast, an episode I truthfully didn't know would happen. I, I just wasn't sure if people would like this and thought, you know, if no one likes the first episode, I just won't do a second one and we'll just glaze right over that. I don't hope that nobody calls me out on it. But no, you all listened. You gave me great feedback. Granted, if you listen to the first episode, you know that I asked for feedback, so I have appreciated so much all the great things that you've all had to say about the podcast, but it is sort of also funny because I basically told you to tell me that. So from here on, you have autonomy over what you do with this podcast. If you want to talk to me about it, great. If you want to tweet about it, great. But I'm not begging you to this time. I just want you to listen and have a good time and maybe hear about some music that you didn't know about before. So, and actually that's a really good point. I can't tell you how many people reach out to me after that last episode to talk to me about one of the main, the, the four records I talked about, how they had never heard it before, or, hey, I was meaning to listen to it, but I didn't have time, and now I listen to it, and I'm obsessed. Like, I got so many messages like that, and I got to be honest, if that is a byproduct of me spending some time every couple weeks to plug in a fucking $20 microphone I got from Amazon and just talk about this stuff with y'all. That is a very cool result because that is the only real reason I'm doing this. If if I didn't take so much joy in turning people on to new music, I would not be doing this or in attempting to run my own business in my 30s when I'm expecting my first child. Like this would be a risk I would not take if I didn't still get so much out of that. So when you tell me Oh my God, thank you so much. I I love Aaron West. I've been listening to the whole discography and I'm obsessed. When you send me messages like that, you literally affirm the reason I'm here. So thank you. Continue telling me all these wonderful bands and albums I turn you on to because that is how, basically it's how I survive. It's how I exist and operate in a very grimy and honestly, sometimes awful music business. And if you ever want me to talk about that in more detail, Let's go. I'm ready. I'll spill some tea. But for now, I just want to get into some more music because I promised y'all that we would recap a few more of 2019 records that I worked on. And I don't, you know, last last episode ended up being almost an hour. So we're really going to try to not make this one an hour, but I can almost guarantee it's going to be because these four records I want to talk about today were they're so different. First off, every single one of them is such a different vibe. But they're also so, each one of them has such a unique story to tell that I don't think that I'm going to be able to do this in a short period of time. So suck it and, you know, you're going to just have to deal with it. <laughs> I don't know. I just said suck it on my podcast. So whatever. Let's get into the first record. I think a lot of you are going to be familiar with this one. I'll play a little clip of one of my favorite tracks from the record first, and then we will get into it from there. buddies. If you've been paying any attention to me this year, then there's no doubt in your mind that you know the band I just played is a wonderful band from New York called Oso Oso. And that song is called The View. It is undoubtedly my favorite track on Oso Oso's latest album, Basking in the Glow, that actually came out in mid-August of this past year. And I got to tell you, it is one of 
the best and you know the I'm very proud that I was able to be a part of this record because I feel like I've been listening to Oso oh Oso oh for a couple of years maybe a little longer I feel like probably longer um but I've been listening to them for a while and it they've always just been one of those bands and Jade has always been one of those writers that I had a feeling I would vibe with I had a feeling I would understand and most of all I was just a fan of and I just wanted to support their talent and try to put it in front of more people and after their breakout album, the Unihon mixtape, you know, Jade just dropped that record out of nowhere and it got some great press. It got some good support. The scene obviously really appreciated it and, and pretty much lifted it up uh, like the freaking Simba and the Lion King. But it really like I don't think it hit the national level that Basking in the Glow has now that we're about, you know, four or five months after its release in August. I mean, Good Morning America just put the album on their best albums of 2019 list. They they recapped 50 albums from 2019 and Oso Oso was in like the teens, which is just like, I can't even tell you. Go look at that list. I tweeted about it. Like there were so many major pop stars who put out records that Oso landed ahead of. And these things, you know, granted, these lists don't mean anything. These lists are kind of stupid and no, no shade to Good Morning America or Pitchfork or any of the awesome places who put Oso Oso on their year-end list. But it did mean a little bit of something to see something like a, such a staple in American culture like Good Morning America actually give their bandwidth to a band like Oso Oso. That was pretty crazy. So it was a very cool way to end my year, I'll be honest. But let me tell you a little bit about Basking in the Glow because that's what we're here for. We're here to expose you to records that you maybe missed or you didn't really get into or whatever, whatever. Just kind of go through them. Basking in the Glow. This is Oso Oso's long-awaited new album. This is uh, the follow-up to 2016's The Unihon Mixtape, as I mentioned. You know, and if we're look, comparing the two records, you know, if The Unihon Mixtape found Jade Ludlitri, who is the mastermind behind Oso Oso, if, if that record found Jade kind of really embracing the pessimism inside of himself, then Basking in the Glow is it's an experiment in the glass half full opposite of that. <laughs> He acknowledges it, and there still are bad days. We know. There's probably more bad days than good ones. But on this record, I think Jade finds that maybe if instead of when the good those good moments that come through, instead of only kind of thinking, well, this doesn't matter because the bad is so overwhelming that who, who fucking cares? He thinks maybe for once I'll try to embrace the good instead of just anticipating its inevitable departure. And the result, I mean, Basking in the Glow delivers huge. It's a huge record. When you put this thing on, you feel like you're watching an indie movie. You feel like you're falling in love. You feel like you are just capable of anything. Anything is possible when you put this record on. Even though, if you really pay attention to what he's saying, he's pretty focused on the fact that this good feeling is not going to last. The glow is going to go, for sure, and he knows it. But he's clutching tightly to the glee of those tiny, short little moments before they leave. And I think it really comes through in the music on this record and on in the songs themselves. This record is undoubtedly a wrestle and it's hard work. It's refusing to give in to that darkness. It's refusing to fall victim to it. It's practice. It's it's living with depression and anxiety and practicing embracing the moments where you don't feel either of them creeping in on you, you know, and anyone who knows what I'm talking about knows that those things are there every day. And so the few tiny moments that you can find where they're not there, this record is about holding on to them and seeing how long they can last for and just embracing those tiny moments, no matter how long they last, you know, it's subtle and it's also not subtle at the same time on this record. It's a very grand record. I felt I, I actually had an idea at one point for a video where we got a drone and we used drone footage to film like the band performing in like the Grand Canyon or something like something crazy, you know, like just this huge grand moment. But that's that's what this record feels like to me. It's just just big. And I think what I take the most out of the record is in these fleeting moments of optimism if you focus on them enough when they're there and you embrace them enough when they're there, then you've sort of armored yourself for the future. You know, you've, you're armored up with all the good and you're, you're clear eyed and you're ready to go face the darkness again because you've, you've, you know, it's coming, but you've taken the time when the good hits to just love it and embrace it and soak it all in. And 
I think, you know, I think that's what this record does. I think if you get something different out of it, that's incredible. That's what I got out of this record. Um, it's an optimistic record for people who are not very optimistic. And um, it's funny. I remember, like I said, I've been a fan of Jade's for a long time. And I think he's one of the most, if not the most talented uh, people in our community. And I'm just so happy that this record was able to kind of push him in front of a lot of new people. And I'm excited to see how many more people will get turned on to Oso Oso throughout the next year. So I'm going to wrap up this little convo about Oso Oso's album Basking in the Glow with another favorite song of mine from this record. Uh, It's called A Morning Song. And it's funny because I feel like at one point when, before the record came out, when we were all kind of online hyping it on Twitter and only the only people who were talking about it were really like me and the handful of writers who had gotten it early listened to it, as well as Jake from Counterintuitive and a few other people. I feel like at one point we were tweeting about our favorite songs from the record, like, oh, we see you hear this song, we see you hear this one. Oh my God, they're so good. And I remember Jake said, a morning song, like wait for a morning song. And at that time, I'm still digesting the record. You know, I'm still taking it in. And I thought, a morning song's good, but let me go back to it. Because if it's Jake's favorite song, I feel like that's worth paying more attention to. And as time has gone on and as time has proved, that song has become my one of my go-tos as well. Probably my second favorite track on the record. It's just, it's just crazy, impeccable songwriting and relatable lyrics and just like all the things we love. But it's just like one of those things like Oso oh, is so expert level at is getting so introspective, but making it feel like it was coming from you, you know, and sonically, it's just, just a good, it's a good damn song. So I'm going to play a little bit of it instead of talking about it. So enjoy. Moving right along, I want to talk about a record that actually came out one week after the Oso Oso album. Normally, I don't have back-to-back releases like that where it's one after another, just absolute connection and a knockout for me. I love everything I work on, truthfully, but it, there's some sometimes something will just stick, stand out and it'll just connect to me on a more personal level. And that's really what this podcast is, you know at least for now, is what it's about, is sharing the records I worked on this year that hit me a little deeper than than the rest. Um, no shade. It's just, you know, some things just cut a little deeper. They hit a little harder. And I'm a very emotional person, so I'm sharing it with all of you. Strangers on the internet. This record, you're going to hear a little clip of a song from it right now. I just, I'm so excited to talk to you all about it because I think this is one where I am pretty sure a lot of you missed this one. And that's okay. That's totally fine. I'm so happy that we get to talk about it now. And maybe this podcast is what opens you up to it. And I am able to bring this record into your life now. So here's a little clip of the song. Enjoy. Yes, that was 
Queen of Jeans, and that is who we're going to be talking about now. Queen of Jeans is a band from Philadelphia who put out an incredible, incredible record this summer called If You're Not Afraid, I'm Not Afraid. And that is, I'm so, like I said, I'm so excited to talk to you about it because this this album not only has an incredibly powerful story behind it, but this is a band of people who I wholeheartedly believe deserve your attention, deserve the world. I really do. They're they're just the best people and I love them. I know they're listening and this is just going to be a long, several minute long worship of Queen of Jeans. But let's get started. That song I just played, let's start there. The song I just played is called All the Same. You can go anywhere and hear it, streaming wherever. The whole album's out, obviously. But uh, one thing I will say Queen of Jeans is so, so good at making music videos. They have their go-to video person that they work with, but um, the vocalist, Miriam Devora, she actually worked with their go-to director and and co-directed this video with him. And this video is just too good. It's just, it hits the nail on the head of the emotion you get out of the song. So please, when you're done listening to this podcast, if you've like what you've heard about Queen of Jeans and you're thinking about diving deeper, I do recommend watching their videos because not every band has incredible videos, but Queen of Jeans definitely does. Now, this record, If You're Not Afraid, I'm Not Afraid, came out in the end of August, whatever the last Friday was in August, came out from Top Shelf Records, who actually put out the man's very first record last year. And this was cool for me because when I got laid off last year, Top Shelf reached out and this was one of the records that they had coming up that they wanted me to look into and work on. And so I did. I took the project. I thought the band sounded awesome. I thought they were different. There was nothing I could compare them to. And as hard as that can be sometimes to promote as a publicist, I am, as a person, just I'm naturally gravitating towards something that's different. That's what I want. I don't want to help more of the same. I feel like people who set bands who sound like one another, that's cool and all, but to be able to take something that is so unmoldable, it's just so unique to itself and take that and help guide that into new listeners and and expose people to what's so special about it. That's, there's real joy in that work and it's hard, but it's, there's real, real power in that. And so I worked on that first record and I'm just going to say it, you know, I don't think I did that great of a job. I, I, I remember the end of that campaign came around and I was like, damn, I really thought this band had, what it took to get more media coverage and get more people supporting them. And to be fair, we found some people, you know, we definitely found some some cheerleaders, but we did not get this like overwhelming response that maybe I was hoping for, that maybe the team was hoping for. And for me, having just kind of gotten laid off and getting started and things like that, I felt awful because I just wanted to deliver for these people. I wanted to prove myself. And that really knocked me out. And I thought for sure, well, I'm never working with that band again. There's no way they're going to come back, you know? And so when I when I heard about them putting out another record this year, I was so happy because I, like I said, I couldn't believe they wanted to bring me back in. And it really meant a lot to me that they they believed in me as much as I believed in them. And I think they felt like I started the process and that this would be the chance to kind of complete it and continue it. And it really was. It really was. Whereas the first record, I kind of struggled to get media support around it. It was not like that on this record. And I think a lot of that has to do with the vulnerability that the band put into it and the hard work and obviously the incredible production from Will Yip was a huge contributing factor. For those of you who don't know who Will Yip is, pause the podcast, Google the dude. I can't believe I got to be telling you this. This is ridiculous. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring producers and honestly people in our industry today. And he's young and he is just constantly one-upping himself and, and really impressing the shit out of me. And to be able to have a relationship with him now is something that I, I still can't believe is real. I love the guy. Will, if I don't, honestly, Will's probably never going to listen to this because the dude is constantly working. He's an inspiration um, and he's a God behind the board. And what he did on this record was just, just that. He turned this shit into magic. He took a band that's incredibly, incredibly talented and gifted and creative and he helped them find their voice. You know, I think there's an element of this record where Miriam, who's the lead singer, lead vocalist, lead writer, Mary found her voice in terms of the story she wanted to tell. And I'll go into that a little bit after. But, you know, 
Mary came to the table with that already. And I think what Will did was took that and he translated it into pop songs. He translated it into songs that you could play for your mom. You could play for your grandma. You can play for your cousin. You can play for your your friends. You can play for anybody. You can put that on in a movie. You can put that on a commercial. You can put that on at the club. No, maybe not at the club. That's a sad club. But you can put it on in so many different situations and people will be, gra- they'll gravitate towards it because that's that's what the combination of this band and him kind of produced here. One of my favorite things was uh, the AV Club, who, I'll be honest, they were covering a lot more music in our world, you know, years ago, and they aren't really anymore. So to get coverage from them is always a real, real treat for me now. Um, they actually loved this record. They called, they said it was as ambitious sonically as it is thematically. And I think that's one of my favorite quotes about the record, because I think that's, explains what I'm talking about. You know, sonically, with the help of Will Yip, this band reached new heights. Thematically, Miriam's vulnerability and courage to come out and talk about some of the stuff she talks about on this record, that was the one-two punch right there. It was the courage behind the board and the courage behind the microphone. And it all together came out to be one of the most impressive records I heard all year. So a little backstory. A couple of weeks before Queen of Jeans went into the studio to record this record with Will, Mary's mom passed away, you know, simultaneously following the election in 2016, just a few years ago. It was the first time that as an adult, she ever really felt afraid to be herself in her own country. And all of a sudden she's afraid for her identity and she's lost her mom. (laughs) And um, that's a lot of serious emotions. You know, she was afraid of not just, you know, I guess during the time she was writing these songs, her mom was sick. So she was not just afraid of losing her mom, but she was also afraid of losing her space within a society as a queer woman and watching so many other people get their space taken away from them. You know, when we talk about, if you're listening to this and you're a Trump supporter, you can turn it off, turn the podcast the fuck off because I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into it, but I'm not going to censor myself either. This record and Mary's courage to put herself out there like this and to talk about this kind of stuff it's an act of bravery, truthfully. It's a political act in itself. And this record is a reaction to all of those things. And it's stirred up from everything that's been going on within her own personal life and within this country. And I think for me, that is, you know, that's what makes this record so impactful. These songs stand for something. They're meaningful. They're an invitation to a listener to embrace their own stories, no matter how scary things might seem. You know, if you're not afraid, I'm not afraid. Like, That's what this record means. And I think it's one of the most, like I said, it's one of the most powerful things I heard all year. I don't want to talk too much more about it because I just want you to listen to it so badly. I just want people to love this band and embrace this band. I'm going to play another song from the record real quick. The song is very long. It's five minutes long, so I'm not going to play a lot of it. But it is undoubtedly my favorite song on the whole album. It's called Not a Minute Too Soon. And I, you just put it on. When you hear this clip... You'll, you'll get a little snippet, but please, God, if you do anything that I tell you to from this podcast, go play that song. Listen to all five minutes of it. You are going to love it. It's it's just that kind of song. Anyone would love it. And if you listen to this and you don't go listen to it, the song afterwards, we're not friends anymore. So look at it like that, I guess.
my God, that song. So good. But time to move into the next record. And, you know, I couldn't shift the the mood in a more drastic way, truthfully. I'm going to play the clip. We'll talk about it after, as I've been doing. Enjoy. Right, your buddies. It's time to talk about Chris Farron and his incredible new album, Born Hot. Whew. Oh man, Born Hot, baby. I don't even know where to start, and I just am <laughs> gonna have to just start because Chris Farron is an icon, and we got to talk about him. He put out a record this year that just swept me right off my dang feet. The guy, and I got to be honest with you, the video for the song I just played—that song, by the way, it's called "Search for Me." The video for that song. I remember when Chris told me the idea for it and I was just stunned. I was just absolutely stunned. And you know what? I literally started pitching without even seeing the video, only with the pitch that Chris gave me. <laughs> Chris gave me the pitch of something like that he's the owner of an Instagram famous cat. And that's all almost all I needed. And I, you know, it was <laughs> if you've seen the video, you know what I'm talking about. And you know why I'm laughing as I talk. But if you haven't seen the video, good spot to pause and go check it out and and watch the video for search for me because I don't think I've ever seen anything this wild before and I don't know if I ever will <laughs> I really don't I think Chris is just a creative genius in every facet and every capacity he makes me want to be more creative he makes me want to embrace myself and my personality more and that's both in working with him on the levels that I've worked with him over the years. And it's also, you know, just listening to his music. He really has over the years come into his own and embraced who he is. And to me, that is just like, that's gold right there. That's, I love that shit because I need constant reinforcement and I need constant reminders that the way I am is great because there's nothing else like it. You know, there's no one else like me and there's no one else like Chris Farron. But anyway, yeah, that video was a trip. If you haven't seen it again, go please watch it. But he plays the owner of an Instagram famous cat and the cat, you know, the the video turns into a little bit of a weekend at Bernie scenario. I'll leave it at that. But I remember I'll have one story from that. I, Chris needed people to be in the music video. And if you know what I look like, you, maybe recognize me in this video, but I was running late. I couldn't find parking where he was shooting this one scene where he needed some extras. And I finally found parking. I run up to the door and I walk in and there's not that many people. It's a very small room and they already got started and freaking, oh my God. Um, you know, <laughs> Laura Jane Grace is in the room, literally Laura Jane Grace from against me. One of my longtime favorite artists just an absolute freaking icon is just sitting in the room and I'm late and I'm the jerk that walked in late. I had a Powerpuff Girls t-shirt on and I just felt like such a jackass, but it was cool. We filmed uh, a couple of scenes for the video and got to see Chris and it was great. It was really fun. And um, I appreciated the awkward entrance, I guess it made me feel, you know, so it was a good, good thing to embarrass yourself in front of a star, but you know, a lot of you probably know if you've been following me for some time, you know that I've been working with Chris Farron for a while now because he was signed to Side on Demi when we were working there. And it was funny because like his band Fake Problems was signed to Side One before I ever started working there. And after a couple of years of working there, he came back and he said, I want to be on the label again. I want to put my first solo record out with the label because you know, he had heard of my work and a coworker of mine, he had heard of us and really wanted to be there and be a part of that. And 
that was really cool. <laughs> Chris, that still is really cool. So thank you for doing that. I'm so sorry about how it ended. <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? But it honestly, it all worked out for the best for him because he put this new record out on Polyvinyl, which is an incredible record label, Polyvinyl Record Company out in Champaign, Illinois, um, home of American football, Jeff Rosenstock, lots of other bands I can't think of. Pedro Lyon, there's one, there's one. <laughs> um, but yeah, Polyvinyl, good Lord. I got to give them some credit on this episode because they impressed the shit out of me with this record. I feel like not only in their own creativity and their own kind of magical ways, but just the way they supported Chris and the way they supported his ideas and they embraced everything Chris Farron. It was just like they had been there the whole time. You know, it really felt like they were a part of the family. And I I couldn't help but, you know, feel so humbled by that because it's just like, damn, like, this is what Chris deserves. You know, he didn't deserve to get treated the way he did before. He deserves this, you know. And I had a blast working with Polyvinyl on this record. How could you not, right? Um, how could you not, if you paid any attention to what we did on this record, then how could you not have a great time? I still remember I was walking in to get a sandwich. Uh, I think it was right after I got out of therapy one day. And Rob from Polyvinyl called me and he said, oh my God, we have this idea. I want to pitch it to you first. And then I'm going to call Chris. And it was the idea for the Born Hotline. <laughs> and anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, back in early August, if you lived in Los Angeles and you drove down Sunset Boulevard from Echo Park heading into Silver Lake, one of the busiest streets in the city, one of the most popular neighborhoods in the city, especially for our community, you would see a giant billboard of... A painting of Chris Farron, which turned out to be the album cover, um, and the number one eight hundred or one eight one zero born hot, and I mean this thing was huge. But so Rob called me. I'm walking in to get a sandwich, and I I stop and I take the phone call, and he pitches this idea, and he he you know he was so enthusiastic about it, and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe you that this label is going to do this for him. You know, I was like, there's no question in my mind that this is a brilliant idea. <laughs> this is a brilliant brilliant idea go make it happen. And, you know, working in music, I feel like there's a lot of times where people have great ideas and they get all excited about them. They get you all excited about them. And then they never, it never comes to fruition. And so I sort of was thinking maybe something like that would happen here, but no, that billboard was up <laughs> within a couple months and it was larger than life, baby. It was huge. I can't believe how big that billboard was. I will post a picture of it at some point because it's like a TBT because I think we all need to, to look back on that and laugh. But yeah. So if you called the hotline, you know, you would get an automated message that was just, how can I describe it as anything other than perfect? It played in, instead of hold music, it actually played the first single of the record search for me, the song we, we played earlier. It played a clip of that song as the hold music in between some wild messages. And by the end of the entire pre-recorded message, you had actually heard the entire new single. And we announced the record about probably a week or so later. And the video for Search For Me came out. And I got to say, one of my all-time favorite launches, like, fuck a premiere. I want to do shit like that all day. Labels, if you're listening and you're trying to think of ways to be creative and, and to make your record stand out look to polyvinyl because this was an incredible launch. This was an incredible idea and it really fit the Chris Farron aesthetic. It fit everything, you know, it really just made so much sense. If you, if you know him, if you've seen him live, this was the most, you know, fitting way to kick things off. And just musically born hot is it's so whole, it's so totally Chris. It was recorded in his LA apartment um, or house, I should call it a house. <laughs> it was recorded in his home studio. And, it, you know, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got a little power pop, a little doo-wop, a little electronic. It's, it's just, it's all over the place. But it's it's inventive. And it really embodies the whole sensitive goofball dichotomy that kind of covers all of the stuff we're talking about, from the billboard to his live show, you know? Even the album cover, you know? It's incredibly tongue-in-cheek. And I think when you listen to Born Hot... You may be coming into it with all that stuff in mind and the humor of it all. But when you actually listen to it, you realize that there's so much it's like a it's like a juxtaposition, right? You know, and he said he said that the, you know, 
humor of everything and how overly confident he is. It's a defense mechanism. He's embarrassed to talk about his feelings so openly, but pretending to have that level of self-confidence sort of, it's funny. And it's just this juxtaposition between hating yourself and loving yourself. And, you know, I, who are we to, you know, who are we to, to judge that? You know, this is what works for him and it's what's made him who he is and it's what we love him for. And, and it makes me love myself more too in the process. And I think that's probably the ultimate thing that he's going for. So I'm going to play you one more song from Born Hot before I cut and go into the last record. This song I'm going to play, it's called Too Dark. It's a slower song. It's not as upbeat, but I love this song so much. It makes me think of Chris. Honestly, I think he's singing about, you know, someone who helps him come out of the darkness. And when I hear this song, I think about him. I think about how Chris helps all of us and the fans and it really, his music lifts us up and his humor lifts us up. So that's what I love about this song. I'm going to play a clip of it. Here you go. It's too dark in here to ever get anything done. So thank you to ones who open up the window. Sleeping in Silver Lake I'm back in Florida for work But it's 7 a.m. and I'm still awake Online buying a Neil Young t-shirt Now all of the wrens in the neighborhood Are rioting out in the streets A notification lights up my phone Cassie saying goodnight to me now for the last song or last record that I'm going to talk about in this episode, you know, I already feel like I'm going way too long on this one, but whatever I can do what I want. It's my own podcast. I have no bosses. This album, I'm just going to get right into it. Origami Angel, Somewhere City. I'm going to play a clip of the track 24 hour drive through because it's just a freaking blast of a song. And then we're going to get into some nitty gritty stuff about how I feel about this record. So jam on. God, did I just say jam on? I know I can delete it, but I'm leaving it in because fuck that. I mean, Jesus, I can't believe I just said jam on. Somewhere City is, it's a place we all go to feel like ourselves. It's a place where we all belong. We're all citizens of Somewhere City and we love Origami Angel. (laughs) I stand Origami Angel and I'm not afraid to say it on my podcast, but the truth is, Summer City is the latest record, debut record, truthfully, the first full-length record from Washington, D.C.-based two-piece Origami Angel. If you've never heard of them before this podcast, don't worry about it. You're going to hear about them a whole lot more from here. If you have heard about them and you're a big fan, then what's up? (laughs) We are the same and we have similar interests and probably similar feelings. But I came across Origami Angel sometime probably in maybe within the last couple of years. You know, they have a handful of EPs that they've had released in the past that I just loved. And I just felt like I just paid attention to them. You know, I just kept them in my radar. And I'm not exactly sure how we connected at first. I don't remember. If Lex from Chatterbot is listening, then Lex can tell you on Twitter. But at some point earlier this year, 
Lex from Chatterbot and Origami Angel reached out to me and they wanted me to help them with the EP they released back in the spring called Gen 3. What y'all maybe don't realize is Gen 3 is actually a prequel to Summer City. Um, and we can you can ask directly, go ahead and ask the band some stuff about that because that's pretty cool. But so we worked together on Gen 3 and the experience was so positive and it was just felt it felt right. We just got along and we stayed in touch and I got to meet them, I want to say sometime in the summer. I can't remember when I saw them live, but they came out to Southern California. I got to meet them. I got to talk to Lex. Like we all got to hang. We got to brainstorm together and they were already scheming on Somewhere City, you know, and if you know anything about the band or Lex, you know that they are always scheming. There's nothing they're not planning. So I really liked that about them. I think that's what kind of connected us at first. I felt there was a real kindred spirit in that with all of us. So they spent the summer working on this record and I don't even, God, I don't even remember when I got it. I got it sometime in like early fall and they wanted it out in November. And I was like, Oh crap. (laughs) Like usually just for some insight, I like to have as much as three to four months to work on a record. So that means I, I would like to have the music in hand four to five months before it comes out so that I have you know, I do my best work when I feel like I know an album inside and out. And just due to time, you know, and resources and availability of my life, (laughs) um, I need some time, you know, I need time to let music digest. And, but, you know, (laughs) something about Summer City, I didn't need that. I didn't need that time because I put it on and it was just like, I'm in, I'm in. I was already in before I even heard it. But like, once I heard it, I was so in and I know anyone who's heard this record knows what I'm talking about. That feeling of just complete and utter acceptance. You are welcome here. We are, you know, I make the the bit that we're all citizens of somewhere city, but we are, you know, and that's what this record is. This is a record about, you know, finding your place and finding your people and you don't have to be anyone or do anything to get there. You just follow the road. And that's what I loved about it. And I connected to it so fast. (laughs) And the more I listened to it, even today, I was literally listening to the record this morning and I was connecting to it. There's mm, nothing I don't love about this album and what I, you know, and this is another one where the team, you know, the band and Lex were incredibly creative with how they rolled the album out. There were, I don't want to call them puzzles or games, but there were scavenger hunt type of things that we did on the internet where you could find a leaked song. You could, we encouraged you to leak a song Um, You had to figure out, follow clues to get to information about the record. You could enter your address to receive a travel brochure about the album that secretly had a link to the album in it. All kinds of cool stuff. And that was all Lex, honestly. And I'm sure, you know, Lex and Rylan together, but that was a lot of Lex. So I give her a lot of credit for that. Um, But aside from just the overall creativity of creating this actual city, creating a real place and putting the website together and the travel brochure and really making it feel like they were playing into this, you know, location-based kind of stunt. This record is about so much more. It's just about finding your place in the world. And I, you know, some, I've already said this, but somewhere it can be anywhere, you know? Um, They say, you know, in the very beginning of the record, Rylan says, When I feel so lost without a plan or a purpose, a cent or a dollar or even a cause, I know where I need to go to feel better. Somewhere I know that I'll always belong. And, you know, in talking to Rylan and doing interviews and things like that, Rylan has made it clear that this is anywhere. You know, it's just it's about a lot of their music has been about escapism. And this album is like the place we escape to, you know, Um, and this, you know, the song I played earlier, 24 hour drive through. Super catchy, super upbeat. It's just a song about getting some fast food with your friends. It's a completely relatable thing, but it's just, it's about, it captures the companionship and that relatability that these simple activities can bring, how they bring people together. Um, And that's something that, you know, in the past, Gami EPs have tackled subjects like video games, TV shows, food, things that we can all use to keep our minds off of ourselves. But here on 24-Hour Drive-Thru and on Summer City, it's the simple things that can bring us together, which I love. You know, how do you not love that shit? That's fucking, come on, dude, come on. They're killing it. (laughs) But I will say my absolute favorite track on this record, and it's the one I'm going to play you to kind of close out this episode, 
it's one that I literally, I, I have to be honest, I cry every time I hear it. <laughs> I literally, I don't like sob, but my eyes water up and tears sometimes fall. I understand that I'm pregnant and I have hormones, but it's, this song just means the world to me. I have thought of, if I could get a tattoo right now, I would get it tattooed. I would get lyrics to the song tattooed to me. Um, I've been thinking about commissioning somebody to do some artwork with the lyrics to this song to put in my baby's room. Um, I'm really like, I can't even tell you how much this song means to me. It's called Find Your Throne. And I know a lot of you who are listening who have heard this record probably feel the same way about this track. There's a lot of inspiration across the whole of Summer City, but Find Your Throne is just, I feel like it's the pinnacle of it. It's the defining moment of the album that, you know, it, where it falls, is it kind of, it just takes you places. I don't know. It just takes me places deep inside my soul. And I particularly, I'm going to play my favorite part of the song, which is the bridge. And, you know, if you listen to what Ryland is saying, then I don't know how you hear this and you don't feel good and you don't feel loved because he's making it very clear that you are. And no matter what is going on in your life or who you are or what you have to deal with, that you're welcome here and that you're okay. And what what else do I have to say about that? You know, that's that's the reason I do no earbuds. That's the reason I still do music stuff. That's the reason I exist. That's what I that's a message I want my child to know growing up. You know, that's some seriously powerful shit. The world and the people in it are always going to think of you in a way that is not real. They're not going to understand you and that's going to hurt. And it hurts every day. If you're somebody who knows what that feels like, you know. And this song just makes me feel better about that. It doesn't make it go away. You know, it's still a reality we all have to face. But this song helps me see through that and understand that it doesn't fucking matter because there's always going to be somewhere I can go to call home. There's always going to be someone, somewhere, some band, some record that will understand me. And this is probably the one out of the whole year Find Your Throne is the song that's really understood me the most. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to play Find Your Throne. You're going to listen to it. You might cry. I know I will. Here you go. I know it's hard to feel like yourself when they see you and say you're somebody else. But I know you. I know you. I know it's tough and that you've had enough. incredible track, incredible band. So that's it though. We have reached the end of episode two. I know I'm probably going on an hour now. Wow, my bad. But you know what? In the future, I can't completely guarantee that episodes won't be this long, but I will try to keep them to 30 minutes or so. The way I think I'm going to go about this is every few weeks or so when I have a good amount of music to update you on, I'll release a podcast episode. Have no clue how frequent that'll be, but we're going to give it a shot. If you have feedback or you have ideas, I know I told you in the beginning I wasn't going to ask for them. I'm not asking. I'm not begging. Nothing like that. But if you have suggestions on how I can improve this or do this in a cooler way that works better for you, please let me know. Otherwise, just chill. Let me ride with it. Let me see how it goes. I would say maybe mid to late January. Expect another episode where we can talk about the first couple releases of the year both album-wise and single-wise. But before I get into that, I want to just quickly give some love to a lot of other records I worked on this fall that didn't have time to go into. Future Teens put out an incredible album called Breakup Season. You have to listen to this record. I can't even get my words out. That's how much I love that record. Um, It's a heartbreaking record, but it's so much fun at the same time. Uh, Save Face put out a split with Graduating Life that was just epic. Save Face covered Teenagers by My Chemical Romance. You got to hear it. It's almost as good, if not better, than the original. Whatever. Come at me, stands. I don't give a shit. Um, Rosie Tucker dropped an incredible track called Ambrosia. The Eradicator put out an album called Peak Eradicator. Roger Harvey has been releasing... He's actually released four singles over the course of this fall and winter. And he's really just coming into his own with his creative ideas and the ways he's wanted to roll these out. And the songs themselves, they're just an absolute blast. Check those out. 
Jupiter Styles, which is Sean Newman, a uh, guitarist of Rap Boys, he put out his own record. On, it's called Ultra Saint Opera. Very good record. Scottoon Network and Counterintuitive Records teamed up for Pick It the Fuck Up. It's a collection of counterintuitive ska covers that Scottoon Network did. Very cool stuff. A uh, very cool three piece from Minneapolis called Ahem put out their debut album Try Again on Forged Artifacts. Hit Like a Girl from New Jersey, who is the band that runs the nonprofit No More Dysphoria, put out two different singles this fall, worth a listen. Brand new band from Brooklyn called Tree River that I found earlier this year. Absolutely adore them. They put out an EP called Garden, produced by Kevin Dye from the band Gates. Devon Kane, The Solutions out of Chicago, put out a single called Anything at All. Timothy Heller, great songwriter from here in LA, put out her self-titled EP. First new music in close to four or five years. Jeff Rosenstock and Laura Stevenson, The Gods, they put out a Neil Young covers EP. Three beautiful Neil Young covers. And that's called Still Young. You can hear that now. A great LA-based electronic kind of pop singer, songwriter, talker. Put out a couple of singles this fall as well. And Downhaul, baby. Downhaul, the band that is responsible, probably one of my favorite breakout records of this year called Before You Fall Asleep. They put out an EP back in November called Tornado Season that I got to help them out with. Very excited to see what that band does in the future. Overall, listen to how many records I just said. I can't even breathe. This is insane. I probably just spent four minutes listing off records that I couldn't even go into more detail on. I really need to slow down, but I won't. So don't worry. <laughs> um, And yeah, let's say we'll see each other again in a couple weeks, maybe three, four weeks. We're going to talk about the new AJJ album, Good Luck Everybody, that comes out on January 17th. We're going to talk about a new band from uh, Alaska called Termination Dust. They've got a record coming out at the end of January um, called Growing Down. Very cool band. Rosie Tucker will have a new single at some point. Talker's going to have an EP at some point. The Rap Boy, Rap Boy's new record. Rap Boy's has an album called Printer's Devil coming out at the end of February. We're going to talk about all this stuff and more. And I can't wait. Thank you again for listening. I'm going to go now. Who knows what I'm going to do with my night? I might make some food. I might watch some TV. The world is my oyster. I don't even like oysters, but the world is mine. And just like that, because I don't know how to end a podcast, I'm just going to stop talking. But thank you so much for listening. Catch you on the flippity flip.